Blog Talk Radio. Bringing you excellent entertainment from the king of DC media. Here's the Inside Acting Radio Show. KDOC, that's King of DC Media, William Powell. Welcome to another episode of the Inside Acting Radio Show. Tonight, I welcome director and playwright Rob Urbanati, who wrote the farcical British play, Death by Design, which is now showing at Greenbelt Arts Center, 123. Center Way, Greenbelt, Maryland, and it is produced by yours truly. And for tickets, go to www.greenbeltartcenter.org. Now, Rob is a freelance director and playwright based in New York City, and he's the director of the new play development at Queens Theater. It's a very, very funny show. I've had a great time producing it. It has a very good cast, and I see that... uh, Rob is already on the line, so let me go ahead and bring him on in. Good evening, Rob. Okay. How are you? Thank you. Please let me know if you can hear me or if I'm speaking too loud because I'm outside when I'm talking to you. Okay. Yeah, I can hear you just Thanks. fine, Rob. So uh, how was your trip to Oregon? The trip was great, and coincidentally, I saw a production of Death by Design. Okay. Now, is that the one that there's a new version with a couple of musical numbers to it. They added a couple of musical numbers. Was that the same one? This was the version with songs that I saw in Oregon, and it's very similar to the version that you produced, And um, but the songs add a little pull-up. They add a little bounce to it, so I liked it a lot. It's a good production. Okay, very good. Very good. Yeah, so now, in this play, I, I think I detected a bit of a, the 70 sitcom and uh, Death by Design, specifically Edwards' rhymes. He had a lot of rhymes. He sounded like a 70 sitcom character. Was that intentional? No, actually, there's one line in Private Life where um, one of Noel Coward's characters says, don't quibble, Sybil. And so (laughs) I risked off that and had all of the characters' names rhyme. In fact, is it okay if I call you William? Yes, okay. In fact, I picked the characters' names because I could find things that rhymed with them. Like, I wanted to find something that rhymed with fidget and quarrel, so I actually chose the characters' names after I chose the rhymes. <laughs> yeah. So what what was the purpose of, like, uh, mashing up Noel Coward and Agatha Christie? Well, it sort of happened by accident. I was actually buying some used paperbacks because I like the covers of those 40s and 50s paperbacks. And I just happened to be on the shelf with C, the letter C. And so I found some Agatha Christie novels and plays and some no coward collections of short stories and plays. And I just happened to be reading them at the same time. And, you know, it occurred to me that even though these weren't two writers that I had ever associated with each other, um, you know, they're very different. His 
plays are all wit. He would actually boast about how little plot there was in his plays. And her novels and plays are virtually all plot. So I had never thought of them kind of in the same breath. But the fact is that they got their starts in the late 20s and early 30s in England, and they evoke England in that period um, very well, both of them. And it turns out that they wrote about the same type of characters. They often both wrote about aristocrats, and sometimes their work even had similar settings, like his play Hay Fever takes place in a country house, much like the setting to Death by Design. And a lot of her plays take place, her plays and novels, take place in remote settings, um, you know, so that all of the characters can be sort of locked in and all um, be suspects in a murder. So started to, as I continued to read their work, I found that there were these interesting similarities, and I thought it might be fun to combine them, to combine a play that had the plotting of an Agatha Christie novel uh, combined with the wit of a Bill Howard play. Okay. That's very good. Now, you know, there's, there's a line that kills every single night. Uh, our young actor, uh, Leonard Britt, uh, plays Jack. There's this infamous line. It's just a great – I love the line of myself. And uh, there's a line where it says, I feel the same way about sausages. I mean, what? what it's, there's always a line like that in plays. I mean, where did that line come from? That's completely autobiographical. <laughs> I think I feel I'm Italian, and I feel that a life without sausages is a life not worth living. That's the only autobiographical line in the play, William. I'm glad people enjoy it. <laughs> wow, yeah, that that line every kills every single time. I mean, it just brings down the house. That's that's a great line. That's a, that, I really enjoyed that. And I have to say, it's also a um, you know a character specific line. I'm, I'm being a little facetious when I say that it's exclusively because it's autobiographical that I put it in. The fact is that, um, you know, Jack is a working-class character, and he um, mocks in a lot of ways. While he loves the people he works for, he also sort of mocks their artistic pretensions. So that line, um, he says that when he went to see Edward's play, he fell asleep, and the woman next to him had to wake him up, or the guy next to him had to wake him up. So I thought that when Edward was speaking grandly about the theater that Jack wouldn't like deliberately undercut it to hurt him, but would just say something from his working class perspective. So that's where the sausage thing comes in too. <laughs> but I'm, I'm really glad to hear that people are laughing at that line. I like it a lot. Yeah, because I mean, I, even though uh, Jack actually puts down Walter, he doesn't really, I say Bridget and uh, Jack, they really have <laughs> For Walter, <laughs> that's crazy. They, they don't like him at all. There's no love lost there. Yeah, I don't want to give away anything about the play, but yes, Jack has right. very good reasons for not liking Walter. But I wanted um, Jack and Bridget to be um, fond of the people they work for. They're amused by them because their behavior is so outrageous. But they don't loathe them. You know, the play is, as you noted, a comedy and I didn't want, I don't, I didn't think it could support sort of working class resentment against, you know, um, against the upper class folks. But, mm. uh, but Jack, as you as you know, has a, um, a, a dislike for Walter, 
and he has a very specific reason for that that has nothing to do with his class. Right. But we shouldn't give it away. Also, I think Eric, too, is a very interesting guy to to watch. He's a very determined, a very determined guy. I mean, just, wow, he's he's really, he's got a certain point of view. Let's just put it that way. Not, you're not giving away too much, but he has a very strong point of view. Yeah, although I will point out that he's, um, without giving this away either, the specifics of it, that he's somewhat of a hypocrite in that strong point of view, um, meaning he comes across like a, you know, rabid socialist. But um, we, you know, find out that he that his real passion um, lies elsewhere, shall we say. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's uh, that was. I don't want to give anything away for audiences that are going to be seeing the show this weekend because I know they do have another weekend of performances. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. So, but how often is uh, Death by Design uh, produced in a year? Would you say? It's actually doing really well. I'm really pleased to tell you. As of today, in fact, um, I, I found out that there either have been or are scheduled to be 17 productions. And um, a couple in Canada. Yeah, and I think one in Australia. Now, some of these have happened. I think about half of them have happened. There's actually two running now, as as, um, you know, because the one in Oregon is continuing this weekend, too. And then, um, Mm -hmm. yeah, the remainder of them will open next year. So it's actually doing quite well. I'm really happy. Yeah. Wow, this sounds like it's growing. I mean, maybe it'll be even more next year. I mean, I, personally, I think it's it's got a lot of legs to it because, it, like I said, it has that mashup, but it has, since it's written in this century, it seems like it's it's very dynamic and it kind of has an ear for our today's audiences, but it kind of evokes, it's kind of a good mix of old and new, I think. That's very kind. Thank you. Yeah, I think, you know, it, it can hurt and I'm not saying that I did this deliberately, but when a play references Noel Coward and Agatha Christie and the publicity materials mention it specifically, um, to be connected in any way with those great writers really helps the play. And, you know, the way plays are found nowadays, the way some theaters make their choices about how to do plays is by searching on the Internet. And if you search... Agatha Christie plays or Noel Coward plays, at some point, my play comes up. It's just linked right. to these to these great writers. So, you know, I feel, honestly, that I benefit from that. Again, that wasn't the reason I wrote it, but I'm glad that it works out that way. Okay, I think we have a call here from a guy named uh, Edward. So let me bring him on. Uh, Edward might have a few things to say to you. Hold on. Let me, let me bring in... Uh, Edward from uh, Merry Old England. Hello, sure. Edward. Uh, Edward Bennett, a platitudinarian. <laughs> Hello, Edward. How are you tonight? Is this Rob? Yes, it is. Yeah, hi, I'm Colin Davies. I play the part of uh, Edward in your play. And how are you enjoying that, Edward? Bennett? It's a fabulous role. I mean, you've Thank given you. that... You give that part all the absolute best lines. I mean, I just uh, switched in like a few minutes ago and I heard you talking about Noel Coward. Obviously, there's a lot of Oscar Wilde in there as well. Yes, thank you for noticing that. 
I mean, men look distinguished in eyeglasses, women look morose, you know, those kind of lines. Yes, that is very Oscar Wilde. I think um, it has some great lines. Okay, a couple you. of questions. Sure. Um, maybe we shouldn't deconstruct it too much. Uh, Sorrel, does she actually have affairs with other people, do you think, or is it all just sort of teasing and taunting? I think she really is in love with Edward. And yeah. So I don't believe, and I think he's equally in love with her, and I think they torment each other, but I think inviting the guest is to get Edward's attention, to make Edward yes. pay attention to her. So no, yeah. I don't, you know, without trying to um, stipulate anything for, you know, actors can do their own work and come to their own conclusions about things that aren't stated in the play. But no, I feel, my general feeling is that she wouldn't go through with it, but she sleeps um, when Edward ignores her um, and she wants his attention, his full attention. And one way of getting his attention is to arouse his jealousy. Right. By inviting the most ridiculous person she can find. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Now, there's one line that the rest of the cast and I are never quite sure about. Again, maybe we've been rehearsing it too much and reading too much into it. At one stage, when they say that Eric is in hot pursuit of Edward, <laughs> and, and the whole and all the rest of the cast stops and stares. And naturally, we've all read a whole lot of homoeroticism into it, but we wonder, is that actually intended or not? Or could it be? You know, I, uh, that character or the sort of fanatical um, pursuit um, yep. of Edward is loosely taken from Noel Coward's play Present Laughter. And, you know, Noel Coward in this period, certainly in the 30s, um, would not have directly stated anything to do with, you know, homosexuality. Yes, so yes. I, I, I took my cue from him and the character in Present Laughter, that if you want to read um, that as his being, um, there being a homoerotic element, um, that could certainly be supported in the play. And if you Good. didn't want to, you didn't have to. So I left it sort of vague in the way 30s playwrights handled it issues of sexuality. Good. So I will tell the cast next weekend we can really play up that line. <laughs> I can tell you one funny thing about that line, though, an additional thing, is that it originally was just a stage direction. It wasn't a line. Um, and okay. so I had various friends huh. read the play, and when they read the play, a couple of people made the same suggestion. They said, that's a great stage direction. Chuck yes. two he should say that, so I gave the line to a character. You know, one thing that I find interesting, um, you know, the whole thing about him beating her up and she beating him up and him throwing her on the carpet and everything, when we were rehearsing it, one of the actors said, you know, how do you think that's going to go down and what do people think about domestic violence and this and that? Um, in fact, I mean, it get, it's sort of surprisingly, perhaps, in these sensitive times, it gets very good laughs from the audience. Yeah. I mean, maybe no, because I... it's so sort of ridiculous and, I, you know. 
But nobody's exactly. come up afterwards and said, you know, how can you condone domestic violence? Well, I guess the fact that he's the one who gets beaten up as well. It's exactly that, Mr. Bennett. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it, it was, I went back and forth about it. Again, in early drafts, I wasn't sure. As you know, in, um, or as you may know, in private life, the characters do go at each other. That's yes. a very famous picture of um, Gertrude Lawrence and Noel Coward tumbling around the floor, beating each other up, whacking each yeah. other with pillows. So it was, again, um, borrowed from Noel Coward. That being said, you know, the cultural climate, as you identify, is different nowadays. And um, yeah. so I thought that the way that I could assuage that or be sure that it um, landed comically and didn't uh-huh. you know, take the audience out of the play was to make her better at it than he was. So Jack yes. has the line. You, yes, you, I mean, I play with a huge black here. eye and a bandage over my face the whole time. Yeah. Oh, that's great. I've never seen it with a black eye. That's a great idea. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, I know you, in your email to William, you mentioned you were seeing another production that had some songs in it. Um, yes, I've written... You know, in our production, yeah. of course, um, Sorrel and I danced the tango, uh, which works for... I mean, I think it's says in the script, the waltz, but we actually dance a tango uh, in our first scene together, which works quite well, because we kind of break during the tango to recite the lines, and some of the lines we we speak as we're dancing, and I think that works rather effectively. Where do the songs before? The, um, the songs are not what I would call book musical songs. They're very much in the style of how Noel Coward would use songs in his straight plays. Like in his play, Hay Fever, at one point, Judith Bliss, who is very much like the Sorrel Bennett character, um, although she's not an actress, she um, heads to the piano and sings a song. And it doesn't have anything to do quite with the play, but okay. um, Oka would like to sort of plug his own songs. In, hmm. in the musical, in the version with two songs, Sorrel sings a song to Walter at the piano. And okay. It's, it's a beautiful and kind of funny song talking about how she'd prefer to see him in the meet him in the moonlight, mostly because I think she she, she could look younger in the moonlight. And then in right. the second act, you remember when Victoria um, comes up with a new idea for a dance, um, Lament Macabre. Um, right, when I say it sounds like a barrel of monkeys, yes. <laughs> yes, and it, now Edward says, um, when Victoria comes up with the idea for that dance, I have the perfect accompaniment, and he launches into what I would call a no coward, no coward type patter song. Like Matt oh, okay, like don't let me be sweet to the Germans. Yes, 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 like that. It's exactly like that. I'll get off the phone now, but I re- I thoroughly enjoy this role. We, we, I think we got a great production. We got great response from the audience. Wished you could have come to see it, but when we put on your next play, we hope we'll get hold of you in time and you'll come down. Yeah, I was saying that I think the next play you should do because of your fondness for Oscar Wilde is West Moon Street, which is my Oscar Wilde novella adaptation. with lots of fun and there's a great role for you. Excellent. Well, we look forward to that. Thanks so much for this play. Thank you. And have fun Thanks. this weekend. Congratulations. Thanks. Bye. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. Okay, bye-bye.
All right. Okay. So let's see how, who else we have on the phone here. Let me break them on. Okay. I can hear well, you fine. Who's on the line? Hi, Hello, sweet Anne. Hey, Anne. Hey. All right. This is hey. the director of Death by Design. Yeah. I'm Ann Lowe. I uh, read this play and chose it, and it's just delightful. And our our audiences have been having a great time with it. I can't help but wonder, why hasn't it been seen on Broadway or the West End? Um, I can't help but wonder either. Um, (laughs) There is a chance of a New York production next summer. I'm going to be finding out about that before the end of the year. So I hope it will come to New York. But I, I will tell you what happened with that. It was a curious thing. I wrote the play. I have a really good relationship with Samuel French, the publishers, and they're the, the acquisitions manager there has become a friend of mine. And when I gave her the play to read, I was still hoping for a production before publication. It hadn't been produced at all yet. And it turns out that Samuel French um, – is in control of the estates of both Noel Coward and Agatha Christie. So they were really eager to publish it right away. And, Ah. you know, a lot of times in New York, um, when people do new plays, premieres of plays, they prefer if they haven't been published yet. So I think its quick publication um, may have decreased its chances of the type of thing you're talking about. But I don't think it's out of the question, so I'm holding out for it. But that's very kind. Thank you for that um, for that remark. It really um, it's very flattering to me, and I appreciate it. Yes, I've also read your play um, West Moon Street. That's another delightful play. Um, from my point of view, it would be difficult to put on um, in an you know all volunteer um, theater company because it requires elaborate costumes. And, yeah, uh, I think so I've seen it at Edith Community Theater, a community theater in Texas, and uh-huh. um, you know they they may do, and they actually did something really clever, the scenery, so that just little panels were flipping around. Because unlike Death by Design, you know, it takes place in multiple locations. So I wouldn't. Well, I you know I I'd like to think that uh, those aren't severe enough. Positions, but you know, you know your um, resources better than I do. But I'll take another look at it. The play is really funny. It also has a little bit of the, not quite the murder mystery of Death by Design, but the, um, this the same sort of tantalizing element. This time, will Lord Arthur be yes. able to commit murder? This guy and, tries um, to commit a murder and just can't manage it. I mean, it's so funny. <laughs> yeah, he's just really bad at it. He never, yes. he never studied that at school. <laughs> But thank you for your um, kind words about both plays. I really appreciate that. Well, we've enjoyed it uh, immensely, yeah. and our audiences are having a terrific time with it. So it was a very good choice. You know, I really wish I could have come down to see it. I, I, I spoke to William about it. I had, I was away last weekend seeing the other production of Death by Design that's running now, and this weekend I'm right. going to a conference. So. Otherwise, I would have come right down. It's not far from New York at all, and I would love to have seen what you guys are up to. I'm really glad the audience is responding. Yeah, we'd be glad to have you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We we were talking about that. We were saying, you know, we just had to plan better next time, you know? Or you can extend a couple of weeks. Why don't you try that? 
that's a thought. <laughs> that is a thought, but that's uh yeah, that would have been fantastic because we had a really good turnout Saturday. Yeah, Saturday night, uh, we just about sold out almost. That's fantastic. Yeah, yeah the production I was at in Oregon was sold out too. They did a really wow. interesting thing. They had a, a deaf actress um, playing Bridget, of all things, and um, another actress was saying her lines from right off the stage. You could see her, and it just was very satisfying to me that the play you know, still worked. It worked just fine that way. The audience accepted that convention and it was really fun. Huh. Really? So I would have loved I would have loved to see what um what you guys have concocted down there. I love seeing You mean you, you mean know, the I actress see... on stage was kind of lip syncing the lines? No, she was signing it. Um she was doing um sign oh, signing it. Oh, that's I how see. she speaks. And then an actress that you could see who was not on the playing area, but right off and in a chair, spoke her lines. Oh, I so see. So, um, you know, I, I have to say, at first I thought, wow, that's going to hold back the audience's, well, being able to get into the play, because as you know, Bridget appears at the top of the play. But um, yes. it didn't at all. It didn't at all. The actress was charming, and it was, it was kind of delightful. But I love seeing productions of um, plays that I've written. I'm also a director. So I love uh-huh. when directors do interesting things with it and take chances. I love seeing what actors and directors and designers come up with. It's not like I have a vision of a play in my head that I want every production to be like. I'm not like that at all. So I would have. Well, we should send you a picture of our set. We have a really oh, beautiful set for this play. I'd love to see that. That would be great. You have my email address, um, William. Yeah. So if, if you could pass that on, that would be great. You know, yeah, we have some good reviews we can send you, uh, about two or three different oh, uh, papers. Yeah, also, uh, we also scored a mention in the uh, the Washington Post, and uh, so we're doing pretty good. The word's getting out. Congratulations. Congratulations. I'm happy for you guys. Well, it's fun <laughs> for actors to be in a comedy. It's been great. So what's it's your been... uh, next play? Well, you know, I'm actually writing a book now on play readings, Um Mm. A lot of, sometimes they call staged readings, but a lot of theaters do readings of new plays. And uh-huh. as a director and playwright, and also in my job at Queen's Theater as director of new play development, we do readings. And there's never been a book about it. So um, I got a contract from Focal Press, which is a publishing house, and I'm actually writing a book um, about kind of a how-to guide about play readings. Knowing near as much fun as writing a play. <laughs> but I think my next play is going to be an adaptation of a kind of obscure Jane Austen novella called Lady Susan. And um, I've started to outline that, and I think that's what I will write next year. That sounds interesting. Yeah. she's um, It's Jane Austen's only work where there's a femme fatale in it. Lady Susan is actually a young widower, a young attractive widow. Widower, I'm sorry, widow, and she's um, uh, sees her daughter as a rival. So it's really kind of interesting. It's a great story, and I think I can do it. It's a little daunting, you know. Jane Austen's not easy, um, but I think I can do it. And I think that's what I want to do next year once I get this book out of the way. Well, I'll look forward to seeing that. Thank you. I'll um I'll let you know actually if I have your email address when I finish it. I'll send it to you before it's published. 
Oh, wow. that would be great. That would be just great. You've got to give me a little while to write it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> You're a busy like man doing it at <laughs> So I can't propose it for next year. No, wow. But have a great season. And when I'm down in the um, D.C. area, I know you're outside of D.C. a bit, but I get down there two or three times a year. I'll check out what, um, what you're doing, and if you have a show up, I'd love to come over and see it and say hello. Oh, oh that yeah. would be We're great. I'll let you know when that happens, but I definitely come down a couple of times a year. That would be just great. We'd love to see you. Right. Well, thank okay. you. Okay. So you have good health right. this weekend? Everything all set for this weekend? The cast raring to go? Oh, yes. Yes, our last weekend. Actually, most of them have been cast in their next show already. Right. right. <laughs> well, good, good for them. I'm glad to hear it. All right, Mr. Powell. Well, I have to head home. Um, I've been, at, been sitting at the opera for three hours and 15 minutes. It was a very long oh. opera. Okay. The center plaza has emptied out, so I'm going to hop on the okay. subway. Um, yeah, thank you for um, this interview. Thanks for the invite okay. to come down and see uh-huh. the show. I appreciate it. Oh, so okay. We'll do it again sometime. Okay. Wonderful chatting with you. Thank you so much. Okay. Thanks. Have a great right. closing weekend. Okay. Okay. Take care. Good night. Okay. Good night. Good night. Okay. okay, folks. Well, I guess with that, I'll leave you with this quote from uh, Humphrey Bogart. He said that acting is experience with something sweet behind it. Good night.